0: right 1 peter chapter 5 verses 1 to 5 so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of god that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you During the week, Anna Goodman, who is part of the Newfound Relational Mission Church in Cambridge, tweeted a quote from Paul McConachie, who was one of the guest speakers from outside Relational Mission uh, at the recent conference. And this quote is as following. People keep trying to make the gospel complicated and easy, when the reality is, it is simple and hard. In some ways... Preparing for the sermon today has been sort of easy, because as I've read it, you probably notice it's not that hard to understand. On the other hand, it's also, I think, been one of the hardest ones I've had to prepare. And I think the first thing which struck well, it wasn't the first thing, but I think the primary thing which has struck me in preparing this is we need to get clear in our minds how do we approach Scripture. It's something we need to do all the time, but I think with a passage like this, uh, I think it becomes particularly important. Do we first look at what the Bible teaches and respond to that? and judge our experience by what the Bible teaches? Or do we first look at our experience, and then judge what the Bible says by our experience, and our response to it by our experience? Because if you've been in a church for any length of time, you would have had experiences with elders or whatever phrase is used in churches you've been in the past. (laughs) Whether in this church or in another church. And some of those experiences would have been good and some of those would have been difficult. So, when we come to this, are we going to let our experience govern what we do and how we respond? Or do we let the scriptures govern what we do and how we respond and bring our experiences into line with what scripture teaches? Because in preparing this, it's one of these topics where I could try and think how would people respond to what I say, And therefore keep off certain bits, because it might cause upset to somebody or another. And actually, given the range of people we've got here, that means I'd have a very short sermon. (coughs) Or do I preach what the scriptures are saying, knowing that that is going to be difficult for some people? Now, I think that before I go on, I think I want to make the point that I am not, at any one point, I am not thinking, really, of any specific situations. So, if God draws, the Holy Spirit draws to your attention a particular experience in the past, that might be totally different from what I might have been thinking about when I was preparing. So, don't make any presumptions on that. But I think one of the things which I think has become clear over the weeks as we've been going through 1 Peter is that God is using this series to clear the decks. Now, when you think of uh, particularly sort of your old wooden warship type thing, before a battle they cleared the decks. (laughs) Because, for example, if you left your... uh, rowing boats, whatever they, cutters, whatever, on the decks of a ship and a cannonball came, apart from the fact it would probably get smashed up, you would get large splinters flying, which would be dangerous. So you cleared, if you like, all the clutter, all the things which are there, but weren't necessary for fighting from the decks, so therefore they would not cause harm inadvertently when it came down to the battle. So I think if the Holy Spirit is drawing things to your attention through what I speak today that means it's something which needs to get dealt with. Because something which might then, in, so therefore when we get to the situation that we're seeing large numbers of people being saved in this town we're not then going to get if you like uh, clutter causing issues and uh, causing harm to people in the church when it could be dealt with. So if you want to have prayer over any issues after we've got to the end do come and get prayer. If you have any issues with me which come up from what I've said, come and see me and we'll talk them through, pray them through. Right, so this is what Peter said. Let's look at verse 1. So, he's not talking in the abstract here. Remember the whole passage we are dealing with. He's Different commentators aren't sure whether he's referring back, say, to verse 11, where he's telling all of us to be sober-minded in the current situation, to serve well in the current situation, or whether he's referring more to the passage before, where he also says that judgment starts with the house of God. But this Remember, this is in a context of a church which is undergoing difficulties, undergoing persecution. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Interestingly, at the start, when Peter starts, he calls himself a witness to the sufferings of Christ. But he's looking forward to the glory which is to come. Normally, we'd associate references to the glory which is to come to the resurrection of Jesus. Because that Jesus' resurrection body is a foretaste of the glory we're going to see in the future. But Peter refers to... Jesus' sufferings. I don't know if that's referring back to himself, but if you remember, at the time when Jesus was going through his suffering was the time when Peter betrayed him. So, Peter is drawing attention here that actually he is only an elder because of what Jesus has done in his life that Jesus has forgiven him. He's not claiming that his eldership is coming because of any great ability he's got. On his own, he denied Christ. But Jesus forgave him, he's now strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Going on to verse two. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Come back to the rest of that a bit later. I think the thing we need to remember with Sam and myself as elders is that we don't have a flock. The flock belongs to Jesus. It's the flock of God. So therefore, for us as elders, our primary role is not, if you like, leading the flock because this church is our responsibility, so much as this church, the people in it, are part of God's flock. And He has given us responsibility to shepherd that flock on his behalf. We're not doing anything on our own behalf. And interestingly, if you start with verses 1 and 2, you've got all three words which tend to get used in terms of leading the church. You've got elders, you've got shepherds, and you've got oversight, overseers. The word which was used in Greek for oversight is the word from which it, uh, the English word bishop comes. The word shepherd, because we've got sort of a, a language which takes things from two different uh, areas, we use the word shepherd there, but we use the word pastoral when we're talking about the sort of area where you keep sheep. So the word pastor comes from the Latin, I think it is, or certainly within the French kind of language for a shepherd. I always joke to Prince that when I go over to Benin, he always introduces me as Pasteur Michael Taylor, because in French, the word for shepherd is Pasteur, which always strikes me as funny if you get too pedantic over words. Uh, If you think what it actually means about pasteurised milk, you're talking about shepherded milk. Alright? You can think about that one some other time. Alright? So, pastoring is just another word for shepherding, for looking after the sheep. Now, most of you will know that I don't particularly like being described as a pastor... And certainly not as a title. But to my mind, and I'm I'm not pedantic on this one, effectively pastoring describes what an elder does. Because what does a shepherd do? The shepherd takes the sheep to the food, to a place where they can get food. The shepherd protects the sheep from attack from wild animals. I'd be tempted to say that an elder cannot feed the flock. Though I'm sure some people would look at John 21 verses 15 to 17 where Jesus tells Peter to feed his lambs, tend his sheep and feed my sheep. But actually Sam and I can't force feed you on God's truth. We can provide good f- forage, good feeding, but ultimately it's the flock who have to feed. It's the individual sheep who have to eat. So, in terms of looking after the sheep, there's both the responsibility on the elders to make sure that they're fed well, but in a sense, there's also the responsibility of the sheep to actually then take that food and digest it. Going on for the other part of verse 2 and verse 3. He says that elders should work not under compulsion but willingly, not for shameful gain but eagerly, Not domineering over those in their charge, but being examples. It was obviously true in Peter's time, and I think it's obviously, I think if we look around uh, at situations, it's true in our time that you can have people who lead churches, who work in the role of elders. Some for good reasons, and some for not so good reasons. So, what's the first thing? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Nobody should take on the role of elder because it's got to be done. Which is a good thing for me to say. Because at one point, it felt a bit like that at one time. But ultimately, it has to be something which is willing. So therefore, if somebody is not willing, there's no point trying to put pressure on them to take on the role. Because if they're not willing, they will not be serving. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Mike Betts has a bit to say on this in his book, so I don't know if you've got to that bit yet, if you're reading it. If you haven't got a copy of his book, uh, Sam's got copies, uh, one for each family. So if you haven't got yours yet, see Sam afterwards and I'm sure he'll pass it on to you. Although I think most people now have it. But Mike Betts makes the point that at various times in his life as an elder, he's been sort of doing it, if you like, voluntary, unpaid, or sometimes he's been full-time paid, sometimes he's been part-time paid according to what was the needs of the church at the time. So therefore, whether somebody is paid in the role of elder or not is not the primary issue. But it's very interesting in our culture that we tend to see that somebody who's paid for a job is somehow slightly better than somebody who isn't. So this year, uh, when an invitation came uh, for somebody from the church to represent the church at the mayor making ceremony it went to Sam because presumably somebody looked up, he was the sort of paid guy and so the invitation went to him Uh, he was on holiday at the time so I went instead but I don't know whether that was deliberate or not or whether that was the reason or not but I thought you know that's interesting Uh, that sort of If you like the way the world thinks. If somebody's not willing to do the eldering role unpaid, they shouldn't be doing it paid. Because it's something God's called you to. The purpose of paying somebody in the eldering role is to release them to have more time in that role. It's not to enable them to be an elder as such. Then it says, not domineering over, but being examples. The other danger is people would want a leadership role because they want to have authority over people and therefore become domineering. And that's something we need to guard against. Need to look at what is somebody's motives if we are uh, look when we're looking for elders. Sometimes people will have, if you like, these problems, and you can see it before they come into eldership. Sometimes. Things can change after somebody has started in leadership. I think one of the main reasons why you find people who like start well but then uh, things go wrong is often it's due to frustration and disappointment uh, with uh, what they see happening around them. I think speaking as somebody who's been in the elder role for I think about six years now or something like that, it's a a mixture of joy when you see what God's doing in people and you see the way people's lives change over time and sometimes suddenly and deep frustration when you see the same issues which were there years ago are still there now and uh, there's no desire to uh, see things change. But, as I've already said, in terms of feeding, what we can do as elders is provide. We can't make anybody do anything. It's when you're trying to make people do what you know they ought to do that you get into the sort of domineering situation if that's not what you intended in the first place (coughs) because you're trying to make what you know ought to happen happen and I think one of the most frustrating things in the Christian life whether you're an elder or not is seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ who you know, if only they did this it would solve all their problems well not all their problems but some of them, whatever it is but they won't do it And what we need to do is love people in that situation, irrespective of how they respond or not. And that is difficult. (coughs) But, I think Peter puts in (coughs) verse 4, partly for those elders who are feeling frustrated and thinking, is there actually going to be anything come out of that? Because he says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is a future and a hope. And all the frustrations we have, whether it's elders leading the church or people in the church uh, being led, ultimately Jesus is coming and he is going to take us into glory and there we will have the crowns he has prepared for us which, unlike the crowns of Roman times, made from leaves or flowers, faded away. In Jesus' case, the crown he gives is eternal and does not fade. He then goes on in verse 5, Likewise, you, her younger, be subject to the elders... Different translations will either include this with verse 4 as part of talking about elders or will include this with the rest of verse 5 and part 6 on uh, more general things. I'm of an age now that my children are starting to have their own children and even if they haven't, they've got to the age where they suddenly started realising that they're saying the kinds of things which Lynn and I used to say to them. And they're getting worried about it. <laughs> it's, there's always a situation that when you are young, there's always the thing... You know, and I'm thinking back to my own youth here more than anything else. You know, you're enthusiastic, you want to see things done, you can see things which could be done, and then you get older people who either say, yeah, we tried that so many years ago, didn't work then, won't work now, uh, or whatever. And what we need to do is to get the balance, which is always difficult, and probably frustrates both ends equally, of... Making sure that youthful enthusiasm is not squashed. But also making sure that the wisdom of those who are older is also recognised and appreciated as well. And it's probably one of these things that uh, nobody usually appreciates the other enough at any one time. And you're always very much aware of... Your, the rightness of what you're doing. Which is, I think, very helpful. Though really the second part of verse 5 really belongs with verse 6. I'm sure Sam will pick up on it in two weeks' time. But it does make the point, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. So those who are younger need to be humble. Those who are older and wiser need to be humble because you can get cultures where age and wisdom is respected more than say in our country but the counter side of that can then also be that older people are not humble towards younger all of us are called to be humble after all who do we follow We follow Jesus, who humbled himself and gave up all the rights he had. So, when I get frustrated, sooner or later, and usually sooner, the Holy Spirit reminds me of what did Jesus give up for me. So whenever I think that my rights are being trampled on by somebody else and because of I've got authority I ought to be able to do this, that or the other the Holy Spirit reminds me that Jesus gave up his authority so that I could be forgiven. Jesus gave up the privileges of heaven so that I could uh, receive new love. So therefore, it shouldn't be hard, although often we do find it hard, to therefore to lay down what we see as our rights in any one situation. Let's pray. And the band could come up as they go. Lord, we want to thank you that, Jesus, you gave up your rights in heaven to die on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins, to rise victorious, victor over death, to go to heaven to prepare a place for us there. And, Lord, we thank you that you did all those things for us when you did not have to do that you did not have to humble yourself you did not have to give up your privileges so lord we ask that in all situations we come across help us to be people who will humble ourselves before you and seek what your way is in any given situation amen